this episode of China Unscripted. Zero COVID at gunpoint. Taiwan draws a red line against China. And Hong Kong gets educated patriotically. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And the big news, China, zero COVID is being enforced at gunpoint. Those videos were insane. Like this was uh, 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 at an airport in Yuna. Yes, it was like for context, this last week in China was the National Day holiday. So everybody gets a week off. So imagine 1.4 billion people all trying to take vacation at the same time. When there is a zero COVID policy in place. Yeah. So a lot of travel was really far down from where it would have been pre-pandemic. But Mm -hmm. still, a lot of people were going to some of these tourist areas. And this place in Yunnan, Xishuang Bana, is like, uh, it's like the Dai um, minority. Like, Mm -hmm. have you seen the peacock dances and stuff like that? I've seen some kind of peacock dance. I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. Okay. Well, it's famous for beautiful mountains and you know, this kind of stuff. So it's a popular tourist spot. So it's kind of like people were going to like Yellowstone Park or the Grand Canyon or something like that. And then it went into sudden lockdown in the middle of the week. And people were very upset. Yeah. So what happened was a bunch of tourists got stranded at the airport because nobody was letting them fly out. And then they started to complain and protest. And then apparently, it's not very clear from the videos whether these are security guards or police. Because, yeah, you can't really identify somebody when they're just wearing the, you know, the Dabai, big white suits. Yeah, so they're, but they're carrying, like, substantial guns. Uh-huh. No, 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 Shelly, those are just the latest in uh, thermometer temperature reading. <laughs> you just hold it to somebody's head. And they start sweating. (laughs) There you go. I mean, I don't know. I I suppose it's possible they could have been riot weapons and not, but like they didn't look like it. They didn't look like any riot guns I've seen that Mm -hmm. they looked like guns. Uh, And they were, what surprised me about that video though, is how the people responded to Mm -hmm. the guards carrying the guns. Definitely. It, it was interesting because it feels like the lessons of Tiananmen Square have been forgotten. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know that they would have literally gunned people down in the airport. I think that's probably not something the CCB to, would do at this point, given that everybody has a cell phone. That was also something I noticed in the videos, and and we will be showing these as we talk about it. But yeah, just everyone is holding up a phone, recording it's like... You just can't keep that genie in the box bottle. Uh, <laughs> Where do you put genies? You, uh, put, you put them in, sometimes in, in lamps. oil lamps. Yes, sometimes mm. in lamps, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, oil lamps, like the kind that we use for pouring oil to light our our candles to keep our, our huts lighted. Well, I mean, it's it's not like mod, modern people are storing genies. It's, it's supposed to evoke this kind of ancient past, like. It would be really sad if you were a genie who lived in an Amazon box. <laughs> All the other the... genies have lamps and fancy bottles. And... Yeah, what, isn't, what... isn't Amazon kind of like having a genie in a bottle? Like anything you want, you can order it from Amazon. And there's also often like a horrible, horrible catch. It sounds more like Pandora's box, actually. Okay. 
So, so <laughs> COVID at gunpoint. Well, my favorite video is probably one where there's two women who are just screaming at the police about how how dare you have like guns in here? We're the Laovaixing, you know, we're the people. Like, uh, there are children here, you know. Why do you have guns? Are you trying to protect us? And they're just like screaming in these cops' faces, even though they have large weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and the the party has proven over the years that it's always willing to kill Chinese people. But it hasn't done that in probably, I mean, not since those women were very young. They well, probably, it depends on what like you're talking about. Are you talking about uh, in Xinjiang? Are you talking about in Falun Gong? Are you talking about locking people in their homes to starve to death? No, okay, I was COVID. talking about gunning people down. The mask kind of thing, yeah. yeah. But no, but like outside of like, you know, the big kind of like Tiananmen Square mowing people down, people know the Communist Party is willing to kill Chinese people. Like that, that kind of fear has kept Chinese people in line for a long time. Right, it's just that it's the Communist Party realizes it's much better to kill people Sort of in private, where there's no video cameras, and then you don't get the publicity, which is which is quite negative. I found but the I same think... thing. <laughs> okay. Whoops. All right. Uh, so I think the difference here, though, is people feel like all those other people were deserved, deserved it, some, it. Yeah. Somehow, like you know, if the di- Tibetans weren't causing trouble, or if the Uyghurs weren't terrorists, mm-hmm. if the Tibetans weren't splitists, if the Falun Gong weren't like weird, wacky, like religious Evil cultists, cultists, like or whatever. So the outrage now, I think, with the zero COVID, is a lot of these people are like, "Hey, but we are the Lao Beijing. Like we're just the, we're the people." You know, <laughs> it's it's what every persecuted group in China eventually realized. Like, hey, we we're just normal people. What are you doing? Yeah. So. I, I, but you know they didn't gun down people in the airport. They apparently took most of the tourists to quarantine hotels. Some of them may have been taken to quarantine camps. It's not very clear. But uh, there was also other video coming out of the same area from last week of literally residents just escaping over a wall with suitcases. Yeah, just like just fleeing because. That is the level of support that the zero COVID policy has in China right now. Yeah, it's 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 kind of amazing. They still keep pushing it. Um, I know there are reasons for it, but it's so hated by the people. Uh, we now have um, like the uh, International Monetary Fund. Well, a whole bunch of international like financial kind of organizations looking at like China's GDP growth and like it's dismal. It's behind the rest of Asia for the first time since the 90s. It's tanking the economy and yet they're so dedicated to it. Well, they will definitely not let up before the 20th Party Congress. Which I wonder if it will change after the Party Congress. A lot of people are hoping like one of the there was recently a photo of Xi Jinping and some of the other top leaders um, at celebrating national day at some like uh some the monument to the martyrs or something like that and they were outside but they all didn't have masks on mm. and then so people were like maybe this means that after the 20th party congress they will stop doing zero covid because they were seen without masks on but then people pointed out that that's not necessarily like a good way to look at it because they have been seen without masks on outside before so it's not it's necessarily almost like the rules don't apply to them. Well, I don't know if it's the rules don't apply, but it's we don't really understand the consistency 
or why they decide sometimes to have propaganda photos with masks or without masks. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily a sign that they're going to immediately stop zero COVID. And even if they wanted to stop zero COVID, it wouldn't be like suddenly, well, that's it, guys. You know, we're done. It would be like a slow ramp up of propaganda to kind of somehow twist the message about how, oh, it's not so necessary anymore, or mm-hmm. we've somehow defeated this, or there's some other reason. And so it would be, it's not going to be like immediate. Unless they just decide to invade Taiwan instead as a distraction. Well, they could do it in October. That is one of the, the time frames that uh, the weather would allow it. Would allow them to cross the Taiwan Strait more easily than other times. Right. Yeah. But of course, like as we've talked about, I mean, that was something uh, Ian Easton from Project 2049 had told us several years ago that April and October are good invasion times. But there's also a lot of other ways in which they could invade that don't involve, you know, shipping troops across the strait in October or April. That's true. Although I think if you were going to essentially blockade Taiwan for months mm-hmm. and kind of put the entire island under siege. That's not necessarily as great of a distraction as like we are actually invading and yeah. So well, it's 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 similar to zero covid where it sounds like such a bad idea but you have no idea what the, you know, the the internal party uh, power plays are what, you know, people are telling Xi Jinping like if he's just getting like horrible information if like people are telling him, hey, yeah, we can we can easily invade Taiwan. It won't completely blow up the modern world by disrupting semiconductor supply chains. Uh, yeah, so we have no idea. And it's interesting. I know we would still want to talk a little bit about um, how zero COVID is going in Xinjiang. But since we're on the topic of Taiwan right now, I thought it was interesting that Taiwan has officially come out and said that if uh, Chinese aircraft or ships enter uh, their airspace... Uh, the ships aren't going to enter I the airspace. I was going to say, if the ships could enter the airspace, I would be very impressed. Yes. Uh, but they will consider that uh, a first strike and destroy those those vehicles, even if there is no, even if the Chinese side does not fire. Like that, that's a pretty big, that's a strong statement to make. It, it's not that different from like what other normal countries would do because we're we're talking about like, it's it's not like the the flyovers of the, the median line or the that, that, air that defense identification zone. Right. So is, the yeah. airspace is like directly over the island. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, a legally defined area that's common for all countries. So if, if there were like, um, you know, an unidentified or threatening craft in U.S. airspace, the U.S. might have the same policy or, or Canada or, or, you know, other countries. So- it's just that, like, the, the the CCP hasn't crossed that line yet. So it's like Taiwan is drawing a line in the sand for, like, like we see you pushing further and further. We know where this is going. And if you go that one step further, then, you know, then that's going to cross the line. And I I think you you, you had something in the, uh, the episode that uh, came out Friday about, like, what, what oh, was it, Shelley? Because you wrote the joke. About how I'm so happy that World War Three might hinge on the PLA playing I'm Not Touching You. Oh, I thought that was a nap Taiwan's joke. airspace. Oh, 
Thank you. Yeah, that is a good joke. Um, but yeah, that that is true. It's like World War III could start because of of that. Right. And of course they'd blame Taiwan, but it's like Taiwan has said this is like this is the line, this is our law. And yeah. so all all that has to happen is the CCP decides to violate that. It will be interesting to see how the CCP responds to that kind of red line. Like, will they actually test it? Will they, like, they they don't like to push things too far. They like to push things up right up to the edge. So will they just maybe now increase incursions into the air defense identification zone, which is further out than the actual airspace? Will they do something else? Or will, you know, they actually see if Taiwan actually has the resolve to shoot down a Chinese plane? Will they, you know fly over Jingmen or some of the outlying islands and be like, are you gonna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and yeah, because that's always testing Taiwan. It's like, okay, are you really willing to pull the trigger on this? Mm-hmm. Or do you still want to be like, hold back? And then, and that's how the CCP has uh, gradually eroded like these barriers. Uh, like, you know, they built the artificial islands in the South China Sea and everyone was like, don't do that. And then they did. And they're like, okay, well, don't militarize them. And then they did. And the world's like, that was bad. Well, I mean, it goes back to, um, you know, the failure of the U.S. uh, with the Scarborough Shoal back in, what was that, 2012, 2013? Was it earlier? No, I think it was 2012. Now I'm not so sure, though. Yeah. Well, where, you know, the Chinese basically took over the Scarborough Shoal, which is territory that's, you know, claimed by the Philippines, the U.S., try to negotiate a, you know, a, a resolution of that where both sides would leave. Uh, and so the Philippine side left and China stayed and the U.S. didn't do anything. It was and 2012. 2012. Because, yeah, that was, that was I think that changed uh, the calculus in China where they're like, oh, gosh, the U.S. really will not uh, stand up against the Chinese Communist Party. Although at the and same that's time, after that they started building the artificial islands. They didn't build anything in the Scarborough Shoal. They did it way, like, further out. Right. True. But I think that was still a case where they'd be like, you know, if we do this, the U.S. might, like, say a bunch of stuff, but they won't do anything, which was true. Although I think also, in some ways, you probably could only trick somebody in that specific way once. How do you mean? Uh, Because... um, if the U.S. tried to once again broker some deal between the Philippines and China or Vietnam and China or whatever, like that would have been idiotic. Like if it had gotten to that point with the Spratleys or something else. Hmm. Um, so they didn't try, like the CCP kind of saw that, but they also used a different tactic with the Spratleys. Hmm. Yeah. And as, as uh, President George W. Bush once famously said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you can't get fooled again. I think that's the first time you've pulled out your George W. Bush impression. Yeah. Much less cause to use it these days. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I think that the while the calculus may have changed in 2012, uh, it's also, I think, increasingly clear that that the U.S. is gradually waking up to the aggression that the CCP is engaging in. Like, I mean, certainly Donald Trump's rhetoric was uh, 
pretty bold. And Biden's is, you know, if you ignore the White House walking it back, Biden is pretty bold. Yeah, I mean, even uh, towards the end of the Obama administration, there did seem to be some greater awareness of that this is actually a problem, though. The, the pivot to Asia. Yeah, but there was still like the failure to really understand that this was an ideological battle with a Marxist-Leninist state. I do feel that um, the we you can't really look at the rhetoric so much. Like the pivot to Asia was kind of a great branding campaign, mm-hmm. but it didn't accomplish a lot. No. Um, although also he tried to pivot to Asia in kind of the last year or so of his, you know, second term as president. So that's like a lame duck president at this point. Um, but yeah, you saw the, uh, Trump administration, like the rhetoric definitely went up, but the difference is also that especially, um, like the state department, national security council, like some of these in, like agencies within the executive branch actually set down different rules. They started to actually, the Commerce Department started to actually sanction Chinese officials. Like You have to actually take the actions. You can't just rely on the rhetoric. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is why, you know, it's still, it's hard to understand what's happening with the Biden administration because as Matt pointed out, sometimes, you know, Biden will be like, yes, we will defend Taiwan. He said that like four times. Now, and each time the White House has been like, ah, no. I think, well, Nancy Pelosi would blame some lower level White House officials. For, you, for walking it back? For walking it back. And yeah. I've, I've seen some of that, too, where people are like, their White House officials have to stop doing that. But also, Biden apparently hasn't actually given any order to the executive branch to change any kind of policy. Right. But also, shouldn't Biden be like, hey, guys, you work for me. Don't walk back my statements on this. Well, the fact that he's letting them do it may be, well, I could think of two reasons. One could be that, um, you know, he hasn't changed the policy. So the walking back is the correct thing. Uh, And the second thing is that they could be maybe doing it on a purpose to send two different messages to the CCP. Strategic ambiguity. Well, yeah. So there's also the debate over whether that works or not. But mm-hmm. to repeatedly have Biden say that they will defend Taiwan, like by the fourth time, maybe the CCP has to be like, oh, maybe he means it. Yeah. I mean, he is the commander in chief, so he does kind of have the say. Yeah. So, I mean, it could make him look weak or it could make the CCP wonder. Yeah. I mean, I think it is also telling, and this has been a problem in all um, administrations, including the Trump administration, that there really is a lot of conflict in the U.S. government about how to treat China. Uh, There's always, you know, more commerce people who are more open to working with China. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think it's always treasury, right? Yeah. What was the Trump's treasury guy? Uh, Mnuchin. Mnuchin. And he was like very pro- commerce with China. I mean, he came from Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Like these huge investment banks that do a lot of business in China, invest a lot in, you know, not in just in China, but in Chinese companies in the US. Uh, They have a lot of money tied up in there. And that kind of changes the worldview, I think. And that's when you have the whole idea of, you know, China hawks and China doves and... Yeah, I've actually been really disappointed in some of the more recent reports from Politico. They they, they really seem to be attacking, like, 
you know, Pompeo has his new YouTube channel, I mm-hmm. guess, and like you know, they're 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 kind of smearing it as like, oh, you know, they're playing up the fear these China hawks. Uh, I mean, Politico is a they're a political publication. Like they only see things in terms of politics. So yeah, they're they're not. China experts. Uh, and they're not looking at it from necessarily like a foreign affairs mm-hmm. angle. But yeah, I think there is a lot of, there's always been a lot of pushback against anybody who speaks out against the CCP because, um, I mean, there could be, there's many reasons, including the fact that some people are just bought off by the CCP and they are here to make those kinds of statements. Yeah. But, I mean, we did a recent episode on. America Uncovered about how authoritarian regimes are able to influence the U.S. through buying off politicians, also buying off think tanks. A lot of major think tanks uh, get a lot of money from China, and they don't really disclose it so much. And the and these think tanks are often what um, they're. I mean, they're essentially suggesting policy. That's yeah, what think right. tanks do. Right? But yeah, you man. get like former Congress people, former ambassadors, former military people who retire from their government position and take a much more lucrative position in the private sector. Often working for, tank. yeah, or working for lobbying firms. Right, like a like a you know business association or something, which are generally lobbying firms. Or a lot of um, uh, actually law, law offices, like different organizations right. will do lobbying. And, and you can make a lot of money. You can make a lot more doing that than you can in government. So it's a nice kind of like quasi-retirement, like you're retiring from government, public service is hard, and now you get a cushy job where all you have to do is uh, push what a foreign government wants uh, Call in the US. Call up your old friends exactly. in Congress and uh, try to persuade them to not to vote not, on that bill. Not sanction China or whatever it is, right? Not not sanction Huawei. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a great way to make money. It'll come back to bite them when China invades Taiwan and we no longer have semiconductors and then their cushy lives will be very different because we need semiconductors. Time to start hoarding wow, that, semiconductors. That last podcast had a huge impact <laughs> yeah, on I you. Yeah, I feel like it did really psychologically scar <laughs> yeah, you. It did. Well, it's you know, the modern world is very fragile and like if you don't have semiconductors anymore. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't be like immediately you don't have semiconductors anymore. No, but it would be. be kind of like if you thought that the supply chain issues with COVID were bad, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be so much worse. And yeah, then it's just like a countdown until the things you have start to break down. Like I mean the idea that like you know, steering wheels are no longer attached to the tires of your car. Once once that kind of technology, those chips that make that work start to break. You then it's to, Mad Max, is that what you're it's saying? It's Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would hope that people would try to come up with some solutions before that happens. Well, before but... the podcast, we had the idea that I would start a prepper channel mm-hmm. where I'm shirtless with a tie, holding a spear, maybe like a red red paint smash across my face. Like an orc? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they They fared well in the Lord of the Rings, right? Um, they were like the good guys. Uh, depends on your point of view. I've I've heard takes that Tolkien was a horrible racist for smearing those nice orcs. I mean, really, Tolkien was trying to warn us about the industrial revolution the whole time. 
He specifically said he doesn't like allegories. <laughs> but that's what everybody does, tries to make it an allegory. Yeah, uh, Narnia, it's it's a lion, but it's supposed to be Jesus. Come on, that it's is, a lion. That is definitely C.S. Lewis. No, doesn't make sense. It's a lion. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. What were we talking about? I was Comments just wondering Prepper that. Channel. Oh, okay. Because the supply, because of the Taiwan war and the supply chain crisis that will create. You're gonna move to like Montana. So you're, you're gonna show people how to hunt semiconductors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With your spear. Scavenge. Yeah, you have to go scavenging around in the in the dumps. Uh, there was, I think there was a video game like that, where the yeah well, um, yeah. Yeah, these these are serious issues, and like you know, people who are bringing it back around, uh, these former politicians and military leaders who are taking money from China to, uh, you know, do the Communist Party's bidding, it will come back to bite them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in in fairness, like people on both sides don't want war with China. Like almost nobody wants war. Maybe like, you know, Norman Gunthrop or something like a military contractor but like basically nobody wants war it's that, it's that the china doves think that the best way to avoid war is by appeasing the ccp and the hawks think that the best way to avoid war is by uh, with strength to act as a deterrent and those are two really different paths to ensuring peace yeah i think that's a good point and i think that it also depends very much on what your view of the ccp is like i think a lot of the, you know, maybe some people are bought off, but also some people genuinely believe in that kind of 1990s globalization. You know, we it's don't. It's just another to... country that we can work with. We might have our differences, but right, surely like, it's not a Marxist Leninist state devoted to international communism and destroying the United States. Of course not. Despite them saying that. Don't be silly. Uh, they just want to um, join our economy. The rules-based international order. And then the when they get more prosperous economically, then they'll naturally become democratic. As we've seen End over the last history. 20 years. Yeah. yeah. But no, I still think that some people genuinely believe that that is the better way to go. Well, it's a nicer story in many ways. Like you think, it's kind of like, hey, everyone can get along, right? Mm -hmm. With money. <laughs> With money. But it turns out money, something about money being a root of evil, I, I don't know. The, yes, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Yes. Yes, I don't know where that's from. A good book. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and it's probably one of those two groups, the doves or the hawks, is wrong. Um. Sorry, I just started thinking of them as the sharks and the jets or something like that when you're like the doves and the hawks. <laughs> I wish. That'd be so much more entertaining. <laughs> Here come the doves like a dove out of hell. All right, All right we're going to stop this right now. <laughs> just, yeah, it's definitely wish, a bad idea. I wish I was more familiar with the West Side Story, otherwise I could fire back with some some stuff. <laughs> Uh, if, this were, if we were, if we made an analogy with Les Mis or Jesus Christ Superstar, then I'd be on it. Yeah. I've actually never watched Les Mis. Just check it out. It's good. Yeah. Really good music. I saw it in London. Oh, did you now? Mm-hmm. Now they've totally changed it. Like they have like a new set or something like that. 
Oh. Where they don't have like the piles okay. of things making the big barricade in the middle and stuff like that. Yeah. I'll have to ask you about that later because I'm curious how they do it then. But, you know, let's changing topics. Um, Although once you told me you wanted to make a Les Mis parody of uh, <laughs> like the U.S. Congress and stuff like that, and I actually wrote down some parody songs that we were discussing. I had that in my, idea. Yes, in my Evernotes. I will show you later after the podcast. Was this when we were doing the like schoolhouse rock parody about China's political legal system? Mm, I can't remember. Maybe because I think we were in Washington, D.C. That's right. <laughs> Interesting. That was like our, our, one of our weirdest episodes um, is we had like all these. It may have, may have been the result of heat stroke, given that it was like July. And it was like 100 degrees. degrees. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was a terrible day. Yeah, and we were like on the white marble just baking. We were all getting pretty short with each other, except for you, Shelley, who is always short. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. So this has been uh, a, a time of anniversaries for us. Um, the happy anniversary is it's 10 years since we started China Uncensored. Uh, the, the sad anniversary is three years ago we left Hong Kong for the last time. <sighs> I love Hong Kong. Yeah, I'm sorry we never went to Lantau Island. You begged I, us every tip. Every, every time. Trip. And you always said later. Always said later. We'll do it another time. Mm -hmm. There's, still, I'm sure there will still be another time for us to go to Lantau Island. Yeah, like when we're in our 80s. No. I am far more optimistic about yeah, the future. Yeah, that's... No. Me, who talks about a prepper channel where I'm telling people <laughs> how to hunt semiconductors, I'm more optimistic. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be 80 before... Uh... Wow, gosh. I suppose that's possible, a horrible, bleak view of the future. If, you know, Hong Kong is still enslaved by the Chinese Communist Party and the national security law would still be in effect that we'd get possibly arrested or detained if we went to Hong Kong. But I, I am more optimistic. Mm -hmm. Good. I like that. And so we'll take you to Lantau Island. Thank you. See I appreciate that, that. See that big Buddha statue. There's also a bunch of other stuff on Lantau Island. Like, really? Yeah. Uh, a lot of hike, hiking trails. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, technically, the airport is also on Lantau Island. So we have technically been to Lantau Island. Okay, oh. wait, this does not count as having taken me <laughs> to Lantau Island. Um, but yeah, I mean, this week, uh, you know, there's there's an increasing push to, you know, have the patriotic education in Hong Kong schools. And what better time than... Chinese, China's National Day when the CCP took over China. That's right. Yeah. It's interesting. The Washington Post came out with this article about how the way that they're trying to do patriotic education in Hong Kong is different than the way they did it in China after the Tiananmen Square massacre. Mm -hmm. Mostly in the sense that they're not trying to like outright push Marxism because they understand that that wouldn't be too popular. In the international business uh, mecca of Hong Kong? Yeah, but also that it wouldn't be really almost understandable to people in a certain sense. Like people in China have to take these Marxist-Leninism classes from the time that they're, you know, in preschool almost. Mm. Like they're... Right, but also the, the kids in school in mainland China now are like third or fourth generation communists. Like their parents, their grandparents... Even great grandparents 
grew up under that Marxist-Leninist system. Whereas people in Hong Kong, it's like a kid goes to school and they come home and their parents have lived free for a long time. And so like, there's going to be scrutiny. There's going to be like, you know, parents trying to be like, trying to undo it. So it, it's got to be way more subtle. Yeah. Uh, and it's got to be also, yeah, understandable. Like you got to introduce Marxism kind of slowly. So the patriotic education in Hong Kong right now, and that was also part of the article where people were like, uh, some of the people in charge of the education bureau were like, oh, hey, we don't, we have, pay, we have time. You know, that story about uh, that th saying about how it takes 10 years to grow a tree, but a hundred years to grow a man or something like that. So they're no. like, oh, we have time to slowly you know, get the, the Hong Kong people on our side. So it's not so much about the political system as it is about how Hong Kong is part of China, you know, trying to erase the idea that Hong Kong, being a Hong Konger is an identity, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you're Chinese, you're not a Hong Konger. Um, you, you know, how great the national security law is, a lot of, uh, you know, school trips about how the national security law keeps everybody safe, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, taking that slow approach through the, you know, the long march through the institutions, uh, it, it, it can be very, it is very effective in the long term. Well, and the, it's a little different for the CCP because they also have uh, the mechanism of the state behind them. Mm -hmm. Like, Matt, you mentioned that people in Hong Kong would push back, the parents would push back. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what, that's what started the protests in 2014 was a, few, a couple years before that there were I mean, it's not what started the protests in 2014, but a lot of those younger activists like Joshua Wong, they started because they were protesting uh, the uh, patriotic education campaign that they wanted to put into effect around like 2012 or 2013, something like that. Mm -hmm. And there was like a lot of pushback. And because the CCP didn't have the national security law in Hong Kong at the time, they didn't have the... Um, enforcement mechanisms to make it happen, but now they do. Yeah. I mean, it's like you go back to 2003 and, you know, them trying to get Article 23 passed in Hong Kong. It didn't succeed then, but, you know, if you look at the past 20 years of Hong Kong, they've been slow and steady and they have pushed very, very far. Mm -hmm. And we'll see Article 23, the anti-subversion law kind of thing, uh, being passed pretty soon in Hong Kong. They've, you know, they've already taken over the legislature. All of the Democrats ha are pretty much in prison mm -hmm. or exile. And so they're not going to have any opposition to passing that law now. Um, Matt, maybe we won't be taking you to Lantau Island. Have I really depressed you? <laughs> Um, we haven't even talked about how they're probably bugging all the foreign missions in China. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, Hong that's, Kong. That's that was a crazy development that they're at. they're demanding that they give like floor plans and even like was it the phone numbers of the official of the diplomats like homes or was it like the floor plans for their homes as well? I forget what that was. Don't remember if it was floor plans for their homes, but it was definitely like rental and leasing agreements. Which will also give you addresses. That's that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean that's that's a scary thing if you're, because if you have a diplomatic mission and in in uh, Hong Kong's case, I believe they're they're consulates or consul generals, uh, 
And those are supposed to be, I know technically it's not foreign soil, but in effect, it should be treated like it is, foreign soil. It is treated. A consulate or an embassy is treated like foreign soil. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I meant I didn't want to get into like a technical debate ah. about, about how that works. But like the point is that that a country's diplomatic mission is supposed to have uh, privacy and protection within their walls from other from the host country's laws, right? Like that's how, like we allow the Chinese consulates here in the U.S. to operate how they want within within those walls, right? Well, which is why some got shut down. But uh, yeah, so it's a scary idea that the Chinese right. Communist well, no, they, Party they, they would got, be able to- They got to shut vote. down. The one in Houston got yeah. shut down, not because of what was happening inside the consulate, but because of what they were doing uh, to like outs, like the, the, the infiltration they were doing externally. So they basically, the, people, the Trump administration accused it of being a spying hub, essentially. Yeah, yeah, also there was some drug trafficking, I believe. I don't remember that. I, I swear I heard something. Well, anyways, I'll, I'll go back and look at that. But anyway, so Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, like being bugged by, I mean, China built the African Union building and bugged that up and down. Um, the the other, you know, this is a little more out there, but they're, you know, in the U.S. consulates in China, there's been talk of, you know, maybe sonic weapons have been used against diplomats. I don't know about that because that's very... It's, it's, it's kind of out there, but, you know... I mean, Who knows what, if the Communist Party has access to the floor plans and all of this, like who knows what they will use that I, for. I, I, mean, they and I, I do believe they, they have the guile to do that kind of sonic boom. They just have to do it like this. Uh, you know, that was a hat on a hat. I was going to give you credit like that. I like that guile. You, do you get it, Shelley? No. Uh, Is this a Sonic the Hedgehog reference? Uh, oh, Shelley. No. I don't know. Is this like a Street Fighter? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yes. There's a character named Guile. He's the American, and he has an attack called Sonic Boom. Okay. I mean, I'm not sure why you guys are so disappointed in me. Does it seem like I had Street Fighter as a kid? Yes. <laughs> I thought this was maybe one of your th the things where like your dad bought Street Fighter, you know, for the kids. Yeah, I don't think my mom would have let him get away with that. <laughs> but he had Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, that was. <laughs> That was on the computers at the physics lab. Oh, it wasn't what? at a which, person, which makes it weirder somehow. But okay, uh, it yeah. I mean, there were a lot of games on those computers. Not uh, yeah, like Digger and Frogger and other and Leisure Suit Larry. You know, like Leisure those Suit children's Larry. games. <laughs> I guess we could stream Leisure Suit Larry. That'll bring back. But only like the nineteen eighties pixelated version. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, eh, anyway, uh, so. I mean, it, foreign missions in China all expect to be bugged in some way, I think. I don't know about mm -hmm. like specifically the embassy buildings inside the embassy buildings, mm -hmm. but um, I remember uh, there was a journalist, Louisa Lim, who was living in China in an apartment that was somehow um, connected to like... I forget what the situation was, but essentially like everybody living there knew that it was bugged pretty mm -hmm. much. So she was writing a book about Tiananmen Square. Mm -hmm. So she solved this problem by 
never speaking out loud about the book that she was writing and only working on it on a laptop that she never connected to the internet. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And this was, you know, almost a decade ago. So I wonder if even that, like, you would have to take even more precautions now. Yeah. I mean, who knows what they are able to do with, like, cell phones now, um, especially if you have ever installed, like, a WeChat or TikTok Douyin. It is very hard to live in China without having WeChat. Yeah. So, yeah, it's carrying around spy devices in our pockets, especially if you're in China or Hong Kong now. So do you think the CCP is listening to our podcast through our phones? Uh, or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple iPods, Tunes. Apple Podcasts? Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, why not? They, they're people. They like to be entertained. This We are entertaining. Yeah. Maybe they think the Prepper Channel is a good idea. Maybe. Uh, any communist officials watching this, uh, let me know if you want a Prepper show. <laughs> because that's what we do now. We cater our programming to the CCB officials secretly watching us. Eh, why not? Throw them a bone. <laughs> uh, well, they're about to be in for a lot of stress with the 20th Party Congress coming up. Oh, yeah. That's that's the big news. I'm, I'm so excited, you guys. I've got, you know, the, the, the chips and the popcorn, all the, the fun snacks. For me, this is like the Super Bowl. And you're going to... Stare at a blank wall, right? Because that's about as much information as we're going to get. I'm going to imagine real hard. <laughs> but I will be wearing my General Hostility t-shirt, which you too can now own. Go to chinaincensored.tv slash merchandise and pick up eh, several. Get several t-shirts for yourself. It is the people's favorite co communist soap opera. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to be dressed up like that? Um but yeah, like I know the security ahead of these things are, are insane. I remember when I when I started China Uncensored 10 years ago, there was another one happening and like they were banning ping pong balls in Beijing because they were like, oh, somebody could write a subversive message on the ping pong ball and throw it out of a taxi and then it'd bounce around and people might see it. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but also... Uh... You know, we recently watched this documentary called Eternal Spring mm -hmm. about these uh, Falun Gong practitioners who hijacked a, a cable TV connection in the city in China, uh, China called Changchun. And how, uh, but it mentioned that before they did that, they were doing things like releasing balloons into the air that had like messages about how like Falun Gong was good and, you know, things like that. So, I could see that they might be, if they're worried about balloons and they're worried about, you know, flyers or, you know, I could see them maybe being worried about ping pong balls. Who knows? Gotta stay one step ahead. I think they were even removing, like, the window handles and taxi cabs so you could not open the windows. Like, the, the kind where you manually yeah, roll it crank. down? Yeah. Like, so it's like the year 2000 and you roll, roll them down by hand. Actually, it's like 1980. No, I mean, I'm sure they had th those in the 90s. The, the taxi cabs that I was in in China in like 2002 were like much older cars with the manual windows. Which makes sense because once the invasion of Taiwan happens and we no longer have semiconductors, you'll yeah. want to manually be able to control your I mean, you, windows. Yeah, you, you have to go back to manufacturing cars like, you know, in the good old days when... Mm -hmm. uh, it would be easier was... to do that than to 
create domestic semiconductor manufacturing? Actually, I don't know. Well, in some ways, yes, I guess. Well, it would I mean, be less yeah. expensive to do that. Right. I mean, yeah, certainly. That, I think that's that's what happened in the book's Dune, you know, because they they tried to eliminate technology. Uh, though slightly differently because there was like a giant AI uprising and there was a big war against thinking machines. I've also not read Dune. That's fine. We'll watch part two when it comes out. Uh, but I was going to say about you know, the zero COVID thing now adds an additional layer of complexity. So now they don't have to just worry about ping pong balls. They have to worry about keeping the COVID numbers down, especially in Beijing. So Mm. they're doing a bunch of like crazy things. Like we were talking at the beginning of the show about these tourists in uh, Yunnan province that got stranded at the airport. Apparently, you know, a few days later, most of them would be allowed to book flights out. That was what like the reporting said, except the ones going to Beijing. No flights Uh were going to be allowed to go to Beijing. Wow. Uh, The capital city. Yeah, because they need to keep COVID out of Beijing. Like that is the number one thing that they can't have. Why can't they just lie like they usually do? I think they would, except if they got caught, then the, the consequences of that would be really bad this time. Hmm. Um, so, uh, there was this quote about officials in inner Mongolia being told where there was like a spike in cases being told that you need to stop infections by killing chickens with a knife for slaughtering cows, which say, say that again, uh, killing chickens with a knife for slaughtering cows. So it's the idea is overkill. Like they're encouraging Mm. overkill. They're encouraging overkill. The actual Chinese idiom is about like not killing chickens. Like you don't need to kill chickens with a knife for cows. Uh But now like they're flipping that around and being telling the officials that you should be killing chickens with a knife for cows. Okay. So the whole idea is to do as much as possible, you know. To to, to do exactly what like thousands of years of Chinese culture have told you not to do. Just, you know, go overboard. Yeah, well, I guess it's like the, you know, kill a fly with a cannonball kind of thing. Is that a... I think there's a saying like bazooka that. bazooka or something? What? I don't know. Is okay. it a cannonball? Call a fly with a cannonball? With a, or a cannon. Yeah. I All s- right. I swear it's a th- But anyway, the, 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 it's the same idea. Yeah. Okay. Just, so- just overkill. And in, in fact, they could have just said, we're going to encourage everyone to overkill. I mean, that's essentially what they did. Yes. But uh, like Hainan province, which is like this tropical, you know, the, the Hawaii, Hawaii of, of China. Yeah. It, they locked down and started doing mass testing because they supposedly recorded two cases. That's crazy. Well, so what, why why are they pushing this overkill approach? It's well, just because of the party of the, congress? Because of the party congress. They, just keep everything down. They, like, this is the most politically sensitive time, especially since Xi Jinping is going for his, you know, third term as general secretary. Uh, the norm breaking, a.k.a. Although the norm hasn't lasted that long. So Yeah. But... Anyway, so there was a crazy thing I saw on Twitter where this guy was in Shanghai was saying that he, I guess, and his wife were out for lunch and their building went into 48-hour lockdown while they were at lunch. Wow. So they decided to get a hotel for the night. And then the hotel they stayed at went into a seven-day lockdown Wow. when they were there because of a positive COVID case. 
So yeah, that's that's an idea of you know this inescapable trap of zero COVID, right? Yeah, and uh, just also it like ties into the whole thing about how you know the central government makes a uh, issues a policy directive. And it's up to all the local authorities to implement it in such, you know, extreme, crazy ways because they can easily be punished or purged for, you know, if they have to make a show, they had to make an example out of somebody. Yeah. And, and we know they'll use the cow knives on them. And then the fact that this is kind of where it's going, right? Like, this is the ridiculous, like, people less and less are willing to support zero COVID, so then you have more and more videos of people protesting, fighting the people in the Dabai suits in the streets. Uh, you know, there was a, a video supposedly of an apartment building that went into lockdown and then people were just like running out of the lobby. Wow. I mean, you see all these videos of people running out of Ikea or Costco whenever the stores go into lockdown. But think about your home, like your apartment building goes into lockdown. Everybody's first idea is to get out, like escape, run away as quickly as possible so you don't get caught. And and this is what's, I mean, as, as we said, like if anything, zero COVID is getting more extreme, at least up until the party Congress. And just people aren't having it. Like what, where does the party think this is going to go to? Like, are, is it a case that they're just, you know, cranking it up just for the party congress and then when it's done they'll start to dial it back down typically authoritarian governments when they have power they don't let go of the reins too easily i don't think that they'll necessarily like the policy might not immediately change but um local officials might feel less pressure to use the cow knife so they might just go back to the, the kind chicken of, knife well the kind of thing where they look like they're doing it but not like the for example in when you go into a store or something you're supposed to show you're supposed to scan your health app mm -hmm. so that it you knows that you have a green code some people just like take a photo of like their health app when it had a green code on it and just like literally show the oh. code the qr code see it's green mm -hmm. and then a lot of stores let people get away with that because they also don't want to go through scanning everybody for their health code mm -hmm. uh but lately that Shanghai started, the government started putting up security cameras at the front of these shops. So then they could watch to see whether these stores were really scanning people's codes. Right. So what's interesting about this is that, like, at some point, uh, zero COVID, I mean, zero COVID is already unsustainable, but at some point, it'll have to be backed off um, because that's just, there's, there's, the disease isn't going to go away. Uh, under zero COVID, but the what's what's going to remain is all of the surveillance stuff that they're putting in place for COVID. So like the health app is probably going to be around forever. You're probably always going to have to have some equivalent of a health app. Uh, the stores that have uh, you know cameras in front that the government can access, like those aren't going to go away. So. It's like COVID is a great excuse to increase the Orwellian mass surveillance. And then that's the part I think, you know, you said, Chris, that they're never going to back down. It's like they're not, right? But they can back down on COVID without backing down on all of the uh, Orwellian Big Brother stuff. Well, well, the other side of it, too, is the economy is tanking because of zero COVID, except for the COVID economy which is basically the only big business going on right now, the, the never-ending, uh, you know, 
Testing, test kits. Yeah. And, you know, I don't imagine that like that's an industry that's just going to disappear because that's the that's what the economy is right now. Yeah, I don't know what's going to I mean, I think they're going to keep doing testing and stuff mm -hmm. for and I think people have mostly accepted a certain level of that. Uh, but yeah, I think when it comes to things like what happened at that airport in Yunnan where they just suddenly got fed up or these videos of people coming out on the streets and things like that, if they don't stop doing that like level, then we could see much more protests like that. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the good thing is like, as with what happened at the airport, uh, People have cell phones, like, you know, as for all the control the Chinese Communist Party has over the Internet, which is a lot. When everyone has a cell phone, like things get out and people get upset. Like people saw what happened in Shanghai lockdown. They saw what happened in the Xi'an lockdowns. And that's feeding uh, the sentiment about, you know, what happened in the airport. It's it's it's. The genie's not going back in the Amazon package. There we go. I mean, I I was thinking, Matt, to your point about the the surveillance state and things like that. In Hong Kong, they've built a nine thousand person quarantine facility in Penny Bay that is right next to the Hong Kong Disneyland. Like when you, <laughs> I, someone, I like the irony of that. Someone had posted uh, a photo on Twitter of at night looking over, like like it's landing in Hong Kong or something. So you see. Like you can kind of see Hong Kong Disneyland and right next to it is this giant lit up, you know, quarantine facility. I just don't think that quarantine facility is going to ever get taken down. I think they're going to use it for other things. Maybe it'll be converted into affordable housing. Um, I was going to say it could become an a detention center. That's, I mean, for the prisoners, it's, they don't have to pay rent, so it's quite affordable. There you go. Once again, Matt and I are the optimists. You're just you're just a negative Nancy. Uh, I think Matt was the pessimist before when he said it was like 80 year or we were going to be 80 before we went back to Hong Kong. Oh, good point. I guess I'm the only optimist. <laughs> you and your spear-wielding prepper channel. Stay tuned for Preppers Unprepped. Seems a little redundant. No, it's the opposite. Unprepped. Well. Uh, well, so uh, the the last thing maybe to talk about is the Solomon Islands. Um, so the Solomon Islands has been increasingly uh, cozying up to the CCP, and that's uh, in large measure because the the Solomon Islands leader Sogavare is. Uh, kind of authoritarian and, and sees the advantages of cozying up to China. Uh, <laughs> Shelly Shelley thinks this is very funny. I, I feel like you're laughing at me, Shelly. What's happening? I don't... <laughs> I hate it when you two fight. I'm not fighting. I just can't stop laughing. I, I, don't, I don't understand what's happening. I feel like you're laughing at me. I don't understand why. Maybe we just need to have this leave this whole thing in. This is so character revealed, <laughs> revealing. We're really letting I, people see behind the scenes. No, I look. I'm not laughing at you. It's that I feel slightly hysterical because of what just happened. The part that we cut out, and then when you started talking about the Solomon Islands again, you ever just start breaking and you can't stop? No, that doesn't happen to other people. I'm. 
Okay, well, SNL would say differently, but anyway, get start again. You're please. a regular Jimmy Fallon. Uh, so the Solomon Islands has been cozying up to the CCP for years. And I feel like I've said this over and over again. <laughs> it's a horrible idea. Oh no. I we got to leave this can, in. Can we I think we just got to leave the whole thing how in. Do we, Folks, how do we do a podcast? Folks, I, thanks for watching China Unscripted. <laughs> no. Uh, go no, watch is, about the Solomon Islands in our other episode. This is, this is awful. This is this is uh, vote below. I'm sure the the audience loves this. Uh. <sighs> <laughs> I'm just, I can't, I can't anymore. Okay, well, the Solomon Islands told Australia that they were definitely not going to have a Chinese naval base in their country. Right. Like, pinky swear, you know. Right. And so, they'll probably keep that promise. Uh, but go go ahead, Matt. What were you saying about the Solomon Islands? Um, That the U.S. is concerned about the degree to which the Solomon Islands is cozying up to the CCP. For example, uh, <laughs> like allowing Chinese police to, you know, be stationed there. And uh, <laughs> It I, was Chris this time. Chris, you got to stop. I can't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is like... <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> Look, neither am I. I. I feel like this is a really important issue, and it, it's just not being taken seriously. What makes you say that? <laughs> Look, there's no use beating a dead horse, especially with a giant cow knife. <laughs> well... I do think that one thing we see with the Solomon Islands is that... Uh, Keep in mind, with, with how you started, there's no cut point from everything that has gone before. Are we screwed? Should we start over for a third time? There's no starting over, Shelley. <laughs> That's there's, 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 there's no fixing this one in post. Uh, Are, this, is, this is truly China unscripted. Okay, well, what I was going to say is that the Solomon Islands, the CCP really only needs one country in the Pacific to start to break up the Pacific Islands as a group of nations, right? And it's obviously the Solomon Islands since they essentially, during this big summit with the U.S. and different Pacific Islands, they managed to get the U.S. to remove certain sections of this agreement they all signed that indirectly referenced China before they agreed to sign it. So this is exactly how... Uh, China split up the ASEAN by getting like certain countries like Malaysia, which didn't have a a uh, dispute with China territorial. The, the EU too, like they were getting Greece on their side yeah. and a lot of the sixteen plus one countries. The Greece blocked a resolution that would have been about China's human rights yeah. abuses. So yeah, they've got their they've got the Solomon Islands. Now. Yeah, you just need one person. Like for example, like if you're having an intelligent conversation about the Solomon Islands and somebody starts laughing. Yeah, yeah, it's all my fault. It just breaks everything, despite the brilliant hard work of the the, the one man trying to keep us on the rails. Truly Matt, you're the long suffering part of this podcast. 
I, I feel like that sometimes when you laugh at me. I wasn't <laughs> laughing at you. No, I, I hear we were you. laughing with you. No, I don't. I don't think that was it either. <laughs> I don't think that was it either. The die. Those. It's those two options. Uh, um, and and while I do like seeing the world completely in black and white like that, um, there there was a good point that Shelley was getting at. Shelley, which was what? Well, that they got the that the Solomon Islands got the U.S. to change the language of the whole agreement for everyone to remove references to China. And that's already uh, a way to break down the strength of what the U.S. is trying to do in the region, which is build up, uh, to strengthen their alliance with the U.S. Uh, so as to block China from using those islands as, you know, for their, their expansionist plans. And, you know, but now that they have the Solomon Islands, you know, and, and once they, they build the naval base that they promise not to build, or they'll maybe call it something else, right? But like now China can, can keep its Marine naval- Marine observatory. Its, yeah, it can keep its naval vessels that are just for scientific purposes. Uh, they, can, they can now bring them outside of the first island chain and into the Pacific and keep them uh, like basically on the other side of Taiwan. Uh, and like- and now the, the Chinese Navy is far more powerful because it just needed that one island to keep its ships at, right? Like this is actually a huge thing. And again, it hasn't happened yet, but that's the plan. Are you saying we're a ship out of luck? It's very good, Chris. Thank you. Chris, Thank you've you. been the one making all the puns this, this uh, episode. Does that even count as a pun? Yes. Yes. Oh, cool. I don't know what words mean. Uh, but yeah, I wonder what the thinking was in the US. Like why like why did they decide it was so important to get the Solomon Islands to just sign the agreement, even if they have to remove out anything that's like remotely China related. Uh, they should have read the art of the deal. I mean, because it's also a big loss of face for the Solomon Islands to be the only country that's like, we're not signing. That's how you play hardball in a deal. Yeah. Because, yeah, as Matt says, like, you know, this just paves the way for increasing Chinese influence. I mean, we've talked about how over the course of this podcast, we've talked about all the ways that, you know, China pushes the envelope. And, yeah, that naval base definitely will happen. They're already training. Uh, the Chinese police are already training Solomon Island police. I'm sure there will be more of a presence of actual Chinese police in the Solomon Islands sooner or later. Um, yeah, and yeah, people don't really understand the importance of these Pacific Island nations because they're not up on World War II history. But yeah, I mean, it is it is surrounding Taiwan. It is giving them control over massive shipping lanes. Right. I mean, d despite all the technology we have now compared to the 1940s, like most goods are transported internationally over the ocean on ships. Uh, Ships still remain the best way to move troops and supplies uh, and even aircraft. So, like, it's still like World War III will still largely be a, a naval battle, or we'll have a substantial amount of that, even though we're going to have, you know, stuff in space and stuff with hacking and, you know, all that sort of thing. But, like, the Navy is still like a really core part of it. So, it's 
it's like these these nations are are so critical and we've tried to do this on our podcast to discuss this and we brought on guests like Cleo Pasco and we've had um uh people on from the Solomon Islands and like it's it's like you gotta you gotta really keep talking about it because it's it's so it's so make or break for what happens with China. Yeah, it is. It is really important to talk about. You're you're 100 percent right, and it's just it's frustrating when people will just start laughing and breaking up that kind of a conversation because it is important. Yeah, I agree, Chris. Chris Chapel, you're a good man. So are you, Matt. Thanks, Chris. So are you, Shelley. You two are like brothers to me. Hmm. Thanks for watching this episode of China Unscripted. We made it. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Mackinasta. We'll talk to you next time.